Hi, this is Debbie Taylor-Williams. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I'm so glad you're here and pray the Lord will speak to you through this message. I hope that as we go through our study today that you'll be encouraged because we are going to be looking at some different elements and some things that we can do in difficult times. Have any of you gone through a difficult time or are you going through a difficult time right now? Are you anticipating that there may be some difficulties due to some circumstances on the road ahead of you? We see that how Paul faced these difficult times and how we can learn from him. And there, the scripture is given to us for our edification, for our encouragement, Let's begin reading as we look at how today Paul is going to make his defense in Caesarea before Governor Ephesus, and he's going to appeal to Caesar, and then he's going to make his defense against uh, King Agrippa. Let's read in Acts beginning in verse 25. We're going to read not all of our chapters because of the time, but I do want us to begin reading in Acts 25, verse 1. Festus then... Well, actually, let's go back to Acts 24, because this will give us some continuity. So beginning in Acts 24, verse 27. After two years had passed, would you just say that with me? Two years. How many years has Paul been sitting in prison? Two years. He has been sitting there for two years. Have any of you been sitting for a long time? in the same marriage, in the same relationship, in the same circumstances, and it seems like nothing is changing, and you don't know when it's going to change, we can read those words two years after two years, and we know what's happening. But when you're in the middle of it, you don't know if it's going to be another two years, or if it's going to be today, We don't know those things. But it says, after two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul imprisoned. Who is Felix wanting to do a favor for? The Lord? No, no, the Jews a favor. Acts 25, Festus then, having arrived in the province three days later, went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea, which was the Roman headquarters, and the chief priest and the leading men of the Jews brought charges against Paul, and they were urging him, requesting a concession against Paul, that he might have him brought to Jerusalem at the same time, setting an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus then answered that Paul was being kept in custody at Caesarea and that he himself was about to leave shortly. Therefore, he said, let the influential men among you go there with me. And if there is anything wrong about the men, let them prosecute him. After that, he spent not more than eight or ten days among them. He went down to Caesarea, and on the next day, he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought Let's stop there for just a moment. Let's not just read through those words because they are so filled as we look at this and how we are seeing the same scenario played over and over and over again. Have you ever thought, is this ever going to end? Same song, same dance, same 
argument, same situation. Have any of you ever felt like that? We are repeating ourselves. If you look at your listening guide, just the very first part, I want you to notice what we're going to be looking at today. In 2427, we want to look at what do we do when God is silent in those two years or more years. In Acts 25, verse 7, what do you do when you're outnumbered? Because it says after Paul arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him, which they could not prove. Have you ever tried to talk to somebody and what they said made absolutely no sense and you could not, with all the reason and all the logic in the world, convince them that what you were saying was correct because they just seemed to keep harping on the very same thing? And this is the situation that we have here. Look at your listening guide. What do you do in difficult times when God is silent, when you're outnumbered, as Paul was? In Acts 25, 8, we see that Paul stood alone to make his own defense. What do you do when there is no one to defend you? We're going to see when we keep reading in Acts 25, 9 through 25. Let's go ahead and read that. It says, Paul, in verse 8, said in his own defense, I have committed no offense either against the law of the Jews. I've committed no offense against the temple. I have committed no offense against Caesar. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, have we heard that uh, before? Yes, we just read it in Acts 24-7. These political leaders are wanting to do the Jews a favor because the Romans want to keep peace. And so they're not using logic. They're not ruling on the basis of what is right. They are, it's all political. It's all political. Have any of you ever been caught in a situation and you were like, that is just politics. Those athletics over there, it's just politics. That city government's just politics. That situation that's going over and the decisions that are being made, just politics. It's not doing what is right or what is sensible or what makes reason. There were no provable charges against Paul, but he was being kept in prison. Ladies, these are verses are preparing us for the days ahead, as well as the days that you may be walking through even right now when you're trying to reason with someone and it is not making sense. I put in very, very light gray type along the side of your listening guide. Would you read those words with me? Trust the providence of God. Would you read them louder? Trust in the providence of God. Friends, the providence of God is not spoken of in glaring words in Acts 25, 26, but we see the providence of God being stamped on every page, even in the insanity of things not making sense, that Paul would be kept in prison for two years when they didn't have anything against him, when he is being brought a second time before the tribunal and the judges who are, the Jews who are accusing him, and he has not done anything. He has committed no crime. Let's keep reading. 
verse 10, Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. Because Festus had said, are you willing to go back to Jerusalem? And Paul is like, no, no, no. There's no point in me going back to Jerusalem and almost being torn apart. Because God has told me, Jesus has told me, I'm supposed to be going this way, not backwards. And so trusting in the providence of God. We see Paul saying, no, I'm where I'm supposed to. And he said in verse 11, if then I'm a wrongdoer and have committed anything worthy of death, I do not refuse to die. But if none of those things is true, which these men have accused me, no one can hand me over to them. And then he said his death sentence. And he knew he was. He knew he was. Have you ever said fighting words? Have you ever said words that you knew were going to rouse somebody else up. <laughs> I have per Keith. <laughs> I can just feel it when I'm about to say something and I think to myself, oh, this is going to make him mad if I say this. <laughs> have you ever said words that you knew were going to upset somebody? Well, this isn't the case with Paul that somebody was going to be upset, but he was sealing his death sentence when he said four words. I appeal to Caesar. Why do I say he was sealing his death sentence? In difficult times, your listening guide points out 25, Acts 25, 11, when evil people are in power. I want us to look at Herod Agrippa, before whom he was going to be standing, and let you know a little bit about these Herods in case you didn't go over it in your discussion group. Herod Agrippa's family, Herod, who in the next verses, he's going to be standing before. His father was the one who had killed James, and he wanted to kill Peter. He had Peter in prison, but God had other plans for Peter. Herod Agrippa, who he's getting ready to stand before, was Herod the Great, his great-grandfather, and he was the one who had all the baby boys, two years old and younger, murdered, sorted by the Romans, because he had heard that another king, Jesus, the baby Jesus, had been born. And so he slaughtered all the babies in Jerusalem that were two years old and younger. Herod Antipas was his great uncle, and he was the one who had John the Baptist beheaded. And Jesus also stood before him, and his sisters were Bernice and Drusella. So this is the sterling family before whom Paul is getting ready to present his case, but here he has said those four words, I appeal to Caesar. Who was the Caesar at the time? It was Nero. Who was Nero? He became the fifth and youngest emperor at the age of 16 in Rome in 54 AD. He murdered his wife, his mother, and his stepbrother. When Rome burned in the Great Fire in 64 AD. Nero blamed the Christians because people were blaming Nero, and so he shifted the blame to Christians. He had them covered in animal skin and thrown 
to the dogs to be torn limb by limb apart? How would you like to be held, had animal skins put all over you, wrapped all over you, and then you'd be thrown to a pack of wolves or wild dogs, one after another after another, because you say you believe in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. But if that doesn't suit your fancy to be sewn into wild animal skins, then perhaps you would be one of the ones who was crucified and lit on fire to serve as a torch in Nero's garden when he had evening garden parties. He lined his garden, his huge monstrous garden with all the guests by lighting Christians on fire on torches. So when you read those four little words, I appeal to Caesar, this is a sold out disciple of Christ who is following what the Lord Jesus Christ has told him he is to do. Paul, you are to go to Rome. And so he doesn't say, yes, let me off. He says, I appeal to Nero. What do you think that's going to look like? It's going to look like his eventual death. But before he dies... We're going to hear him repeatedly voice his testimony and repeatedly voice the truth of the gospel message that Jesus was murdered on a cross, buried, resurrected three days later, and is alive. That should be the testimony that we also are willing to bear Let's keep reading, because when he said, I appeal to Caesar, in verse 12, then when Festus had conferred with his council, he answered, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. In verses 13 through 22, we see that King Agrippa and Bernus arrived at Caesarea, and, and he shared with King Agrippa about this man. He's got in prison, Paul, who none of the charges can be proved. He's really in a conundrum because he says in verse 19 or verse 18, he says, when the accusers stood up, these Jews, they began bringing charges against him, not of such crimes as I was expecting, but they simply had some points of disagreement with him about their own religion and about a dead man, Jesus, whom Paul asserted to be alive. Friends, this is the whole gospel message. This is the whole gospel message. And he goes on, and we're going to find out, beginning in verse 23, that King Agrippa said he would like to hear Paul. Everybody wants to hear about this interesting man, Paul, who is adamant that there is a dead man who is alive. And so King Agrippa says, oh, I'd like to hear this beginning in verse 23. So on the next day, when King Agrippa came together with Bernice amid great pomp, and entered the auditorium accompanied by the commanders and the prominent men of the city at the command of Festus. Again, Paul was brought in. You know, every morning on Wednesdays before I teach in here, I, I, I sit back in that room and I was doing it again this morning, just very quietly. 
this is after I've prayed over all of y'all in the pews, but I was sitting back in there, I've got this word of God. And I'm thinking about when I come in here with you. I want so bad for the Lord to speak. And I'm sitting there praying, and it's just me and God and this. And I know I'm getting ready to walk in here. And this morning I was thinking, I can't imagine what it would have been like for Paul to have been waiting there. And this huge auditorium is being filled up with great pomp, with King Agrippa and his wife, and, and Festus, and, and Bernice, and all the commanders, and all these people. And he's, he's sitting there, or he's standing there chained. His life depends on it. What happens in the next few minutes? I get to come in here and share with you the joy of the Lord. But he knew that if he said something that they didn't like, he could be struck and hit in the mouth, like has happened in our prior chapters. He knows that a riot could happen, and him must be torn limb by limb. He doesn't know what's going to happen in those next few minutes. But he is there. And the calling on his life is no different from the calling on our lives. Jesus needs us there. And more than likely, it's going to be in an uncomfortable situation, perhaps before a boardroom, perhaps being chained in an, a marriage that isn't what you dreamed it would be, perhaps being in a hospital bed. It's all different circumstances, all different times. But the question is, will you be ready in whatever circumstance it is to proclaim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ boldly and not back down? That is our call. We see the ridiculousness of the charges against Paul because here these Romans are saying in verse 25, I have found that he had committed nothing worthy of death and since he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to send him. Yet I can't, I have nothing definite about him to write. King Agrippa, verse 27, it seems absurd to me in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. So there he's being sent to Nero and there's, there's nothing to write. For charges, this is the insanity of the situation, unless you and I understand the fine print behind it. Read it with me again, out loud, real loud, like you believe in it for your own life. Read it. Trust in the providence of God. God was getting Paul to Rome. And God is getting you to some place where your voice can be his voice. And we just walk one step at a time through our day, through our morning, through our afternoon, through our night, not knowing what the next situation is going to hold. But we are going to trust in, say it with me. The providence of God. You and I are going to trust in the providence of God, aren't we?
as we look at your listening, God, in difficult times when God is silent, maybe for years when you're outnumbered, there are more people against you than there are for you, when there's no one to defend you, when politics run rampant over reason, when evil people are in power, when you're punished or treated badly but haven't done anything wrong, when you're not free to come and go or do as you like, what can you do? If we go back here to Acts 25.1, we're going to learn some things from Paul. The first thing that we can do is we can decide to not sin. That is your fill-in-the-blank, decide to not sin. Friends, I know I've had situations happen to me in past years, and they were not right, and they were done by ministry to me in ministry. And the thing that the Lord kept saying to me repeatedly was, Debbie, do not sin. Debbie, do not not sin. Debbie, do not sin in this situation. Because when you're being treated wrongly, it's real easy to want to have a comeback, to want to say something, to want to put somebody in their place, right? But we need to do as Paul did, and he said, I have committed no offense. And that means I have not sinned against the Jews. I have not sinned against the temple. I have not sinned against God. So, we cannot be in charge of how other people live their lives, but we can purpose in our hearts and we can pray, Lord, please help me walk faithfully to, in obedience to you through this day. Yes, we are going to sin because we're human, but our goal should be to walk in the grace and in the power of the Holy Spirit. The second thing, 25 verses 10 through 11, stay the course. Stay the course of what Jesus tells you to do. We see in 25.10, Paul could have said, you know what, I am kind of here, and maybe instead of going to Rome in these chains, I think I might see if I, this case could be dismissed, and then maybe I could tell the Jews, kind of placate them somehow, and then maybe I could take a nice ship to Rome. I bet I could still get to Rome. I could figure out a different way to get to Rome. Now, Jesus had already told him that he was going to go to Rome and how he was going to get to Rome. So stay the course of what Jesus has told you to do. Three, take opportunities to defend Christianity and your faith. And that is what Paul did when given the opportunity to defend Christianity and defend his faith. He did. In chapter 26, verse 19 through 18, what Paul did, we can do. Share your life before Christ share how you came to faith in Christ, and share your life since. The fifth thing that we can do, and let's read together here Paul's testimony, beginning in verse 12. As he was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun. How can you get light brighter than the sun? You can't. You can't, but it did happen. What's the only thing that can be brighter than the sun? The sun himself, the son of God himself. And he said, when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, oh, I just love when it's red letters, it's Jesus's word, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. That means it's, you're just hurting yourself. You're just hurting yourself, Paul, in what you're doing here. And 
Paul continues, he said, I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up, stand on your feet. For this purpose, I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you. And did Jesus ever appear to Paul again? Yes, we just saw last week how he appeared to Paul again. Numerous different times are recorded, but we don't even know how many cumulative times. Jesus appeared to Paul. He says in verse 17 and 18, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you. And here's the most important verse, 18, circle it, highlight it, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. He continues, and he says, But I kept declaring both to those in Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and highlight or mark this, because these are words to us too, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. So having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying to both small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place, that the Christ was to suffer, and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentile people. And while Paul was saying this in his defense, Paul Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is making you mad. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I utter words of sober truth, for the king knows about this, these matters. And I speak to him also with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice, for this has not been done in a quarter. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Paul took advantage of the opportunity, and oh, what a mouthful of truth he spoke as Jesus and the Holy Spirit poured those words into him. Our fifth point is to obey what Jesus has also appointed you to do, and that is to witness the last chapter in, the, in Matthew, Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and be my witnesses. Make disciples of all men. Friends, we are to open unbelievers' eyes so they turn from darkness to light, from Satan to God so they receive forgiveness and inheritance. On your overhead, you see this graphic that there are two domains. There is the domain of light, the domain of God. And in that domain, we reside who are forgiven, who are sanctified. That means set apart out of the domain of darkness into the domain of light. And we have an inheritance 
of love and joy and peace that we are going to live in eternally with God when these bodies dies and our souls continue on. But there's another domain of darkness. It is the domain of Satan where people are not forgiven. They're not set apart. And there is no inheritance. It is called hell. And Jesus warns about it. There are two domains. Colossians 1.13 says, For he rescued you from the domain of darkness and transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom there is forgiveness of sins. We are his ambassadors. There is an appeal being made today from heaven through the Holy Spirit, through the scriptures to every single one of us. Take these words to heart. Don't just have them here. Have them here. And then make them go with your feet and your hands and your mouth to this dark world. You see, Jesus came from heaven, from the domain of light. And he came here to the domain of darkness, which he says is where the prince of the ruler of this world, Satan, roams and rules. And he rescued us. And so now there are some of us like are in the gold over on the one side who live in this domain of light. But which are we? Are we the crowd that are forgiven? Are we the one or two that are going out to the people who are still living in the domain of darkness? I hope that we are the children of light but who are reaching out to those who are still in darkness. So what can you do even in difficult days? Our sixth point is perform deeds appropriate to repentance. As Paul said in verse 20 that he was doing, and that means practice continually. What can we do in difficult days? Our seventh point, we can share with others how God has and does help us. And some people might, King Agrippa or Festus might have said when Paul stood there and said in verse 22, so having obtained help from God, I stand to this day. And they might have looked at him and said, you fool, you stupid fool, Paul. You've been in prison two years. You're standing there in chain. God's helping you. Well, woohoo. I don't need any of your God's help. You're standing there, a prisoner in chain, headed to a madman, Nero. How can you say God is your help? Well, God has helped him, hasn't he? He's helped him escape death numerous times. He's helped him stand. He's helped him be brave. He's helped him stand there. He's helped give him the words. He's helped him understand his purpose is not to experience lavish living on earth. He has captured him and taken him up in a vision to heaven and seen eternal life in the presence of Jesus. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, in writing to the Corinthians, he said, I die daily. Say those words with me. I die daily. Do you die daily? I hope you do. I hope I do. I hope every morning when I'm on my knees and I'm praying, Lord, live through me this day. I, I pray those words are communicating, God, I'm not living for my life, for my purposes. I am living for you in me. Those are good words to write down on what your takeaway is from today, today's lesson. I die daily of my own selfish 
sinful will. I live for Christ and his purposes. Our eighth point of what we can do is study so you do know what the Bible teaches. Nine, keep speaking the truth even if people call you crazy. And finally, ask that question. It's the only way that you're going to give somebody an opportunity to say yes. Ask the question. Say it with me out loud. Do you believe? Say it with me again. Do you believe? Say it with me again louder. Do you believe? Now, I want you to put the person's face that you're concerned about and may not be a Christian. Put that person's face in front of you and say to them after you have shared your personal, beautiful walk with the Lord. Now, I want you to put that person's face in front of you and say that out loud with me. Do you believe? Do you believe? In the Lord Jesus Christ because that is a question and nobody is going to have the opportunity to say yes I do believe unless you present the truth of the gospel message and then you give them an opportunity to respond and ask the question do you believe it's time to go our time is up but what are you going to take from our time today. Would you write it down very quickly before you leave? Yes, Lord, I do believe. Would you say those words with me if you do? Yes, Lord, I do believe. And if you want him to use you, would you pray after me? Lord, use me to open eyes so people turn from the domain of darkness and come into your glorious light. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about how to grow in Christ or to be saved, visit www.debbietaylorwilliams.com. Connect with me on Instagram at Debbie Taylor Williams. God bless you.